turn your Bibles to Psalm 1. We're going to read 2 and 3. I'm so excited about what I'm about to share with you because so many times when we talk about rest, we easily think about putting your feet on the ottoman, leaning back on the couch, and if it's football, if it's a football season, watching some football or watching NBA, and then you say, I'm resting. Or other people call it Netflix and chilling, you know? Um, but I want to open that up for a moment. What does it mean to rest in God's blessing? What does it mean to rest in God's word? And I'll tell you a story because I love stories. Um, when we were growing up, my dad had just started the ministry. And I remember we were living about two minutes away from the church, so pretty much walking distance. But the house we lived in was a rental place. So this renter would come at the most awkward times after the best services. I would think to me, the move of God, people have gotten healed, and everybody's like on a 10, excited. And the moment we get home, this guy's at the door, drunk, and asking for his money. And being a child, I was thinking, what is going on? I thought God would take care of everything while we were in the service. And this guy came week after week. Sometimes he forgot he got paid. He just showed up in the middle of, remember people are leaving church in hundreds, and they're seeing this drunk guy outside the pastor's door's house asking for his money for rent. They don't know if we're paid. They don't know if we're not caught up. But it's a scene that forever defined to me what it meant resting in the blessing. I, most of the times, Dad would send us in the house to go in the back room because he wanted to turn the situation one-on-one, man-to-man. But I always wondered, how could he come from such a situation and preach a service the next day? Well knowing that if we're not paid up, we're probably going to be out of that house. Well knowing that if something did not happen, that guy was coming back the next day. What kind of God do you serve that allows you to walk in such a life that you're so behind on so many things in life that it looks like maybe the blessing is not working? Maybe it looks like what you're going through in the moment is not where God wants you to be. Maybe, maybe I can understand if he thought maybe God did not call me to do this thing. Maybe God did not call me to have kids. Maybe God did not call me to lead this many people. But I can't imagine coming from a high of such a great worship like we just had, and then you get home and things come crashing down, and yet the message this morning was about the kingdom of God in your life. How do I reconcile my situation to this word that I read every day and believe and sometimes because I have the knowledge, I speak it too, but it hasn't taken root on the inside of me. I want to take you to a moment. We've been reading this verse for the last services, but let's just pick it up from 2 and 3. And here's what a blessed man does. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, but whatever he does prospers. In other words, the Word of God is not just there to tell you what the blessing is. 
The word of God is supposed to go into your life, and David likens it to a tree being planted. Winds are going to come. Storms are going to come. Everything is going to come, but if you're planted by the rivers of living water, then your tree will never be out of season. Your life will never be out of season. What do I mean by this? I truly believe when God is he's doing the work that he does in Genesis, Genesis 1 is all about man leaving in the blessing. God said, let there be light. And light was. And God said, let us make man in our image. In other words, I'm going to make man who is like me, who functions like me, who sees like I see. In other words, this man is walking on everything that God had spoken. And look what happens. Immediately after that, the devil comes, tricks man, and man begins to walk outside of everything that God has spoken. The blessing is still accessible, but now it's out of reach. And look what happens. Man begins to toil. I believe toil is exact replica of man leaving outside of the blessing but achieving the same result. And that's why you see, you can see a rich man who doesn't know God. Is there using law principles that if I work hard enough, I'll be blessed. But a, a man of the covenant, I'll use an example of Isaac where the Bible says, he sowed in the famine and in the same year reaped a hundredfold. For a man who is in the blessing of God, who knows the blessing of God, who has planted himself in the arms of God, when a difficult moment comes, it's only a season to expose what fruit is on the inside of him. So in a drought, Isaac is thinking, I need to plant. How many farmers would think if there's a drought, you're going to put some seed in the ground? It takes a person who knows that there are some things that are meant to expose the greatness of God in me. And if I'm blessed, I'm only going up. My root is only getting deeper. I'll recap a few things I said last time. God says in his words, Psalms 89, 34, it says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. In other words, God's word is binding, and God's word is his covenant. He spoke it, it's gonna happen. In other words, the primary way for God to provide for us is through the blessing, and I said this last week. Miracles are proof of his grace and obedience to the covenant. The person in need of a miracle is at the mercy of a person who understands covenant. I'll keep going because I said most of this stuff last week. In other words, the blessing of the Lord cannot be reversed or stopped by the devil. We are the only ones that can reverse that. Why? Because every time, every moment, just like Adam and Eve walked away from what God had ordained as covenant for them, it birthed something else in their life. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2, verses 2. Paul is talking to Timothy about this very thing. He says, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, it says, moreover, it is required in stewards that 
one be found faithful. That one be found full of faith. In other words, faithfulness is the currency of ministry. You want to experience the kingdom of God, you have to walk in the faith of God. You have to walk on the word of God. You have to encounter God at that place. I use David, and most people would, would say, you know what? What made David so great was because he killed Goliath. What made David so great was because of his 300 men. What, what made David so great was because of the anointing on his life. You can make that all list, but if David had had a moment where what was spoken over his life and confirmed by the anointing on his life had a moment to doubt that and operate outside of it, we wouldn't be hearing about David. So in other words, it wasn't how, well, how skilled he was. It was how faithful he was. Here's how he demonstrated it. After he got anointed, he went back to the sheep pen. After he got anointed, his dad asked him, take lunch to your brothers. Can you imagine if someone told you you're going to be the next president of the United States of America, and they don't tell you when, and then the next thing they ask you is, can you take this food to the project? Can you reach out to somebody in your neighborhood? How can me, a whole president, I'm anointed to be president, and you want me to take food to the projects. This is how we start to work out of, of the will of God. In other words, David stayed faithful even to the few sheep. Why do I say this? Great leaders are revealed in little things. Ordinary people in great things. I'll say that again. Great leaders are revealed in little things. Ordinary people in, sorry, great leaders are revealed in little things. Ordinary people in great things. Now, in other words, what, what I mean by that is you cannot borrow experience. Knowledge is not experience. I'll say that again. Knowledge is not experience. You can know the Bible cover to cover and still live a life wandering like David says, why do the unrighteous profit? Why do the unrighteous keep getting wealthy and he's talking with God? Those are places that bring us to this place of understanding. What was God intending to do in Genesis? What did God do when he rested? I want to explain that. I want to go in the background. What did God do when he rested? It says on the seventh day, after he created everything, God rested. What had he found? Because if you want to understand Genesis, you have to read Exodus. And if you want to understand Exodus, you've got to read Genesis. Here's what I mean. When Moses was writing the Pentateuch, he was writing it from the experience after he had experienced Egypt. This is Exodus. So the cultural perspective, the understanding he possessed was being filtered into what he was writing and he was writing for people to encounter the redeeming, redemptive power of God. So he's saying he was communicating, sorry, in a language that the Israelites who were in captivity could understand. So when he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was void and formless. The word void means it was full of darkness. There was nothing there. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the dark. He's saying that there was something on the inside of what God was created that needed to be filled. And the only thing that could fill it would be him. So God begins the preparation in verse 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 below. He creates the environment that will make it conducive for this thing that he would want to dwell in. And in verses 26, he says, let us make man in our image. In other words, I'm going to make myself a place where I can find rest. And what does he do when he finds rest in there? He declares a blessing over it. He says, go be dominant. Take dominion. In other words, God getting rest is him at work in us. So the place of rest is really the place of work. Am I making sense here? Because when Moses is saying we shall make, when, when, Mo, when Moses is, is writing about God making, I'm going to make him like me in my image. Where does the word image come from? Egypt. There were so many gods in Egypt, some in cases, and people had to go to these images. They were in temples built by man's hands, and Moses is relating the children of Israel by telling them, you knew the gods in Egypt. I want to introduce you to a God who wants to dwell on the inside of you, a God you don't have to carry around in a box, a God who knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, not a God that you have to form. And remember, on the seventh day in Egypt, it was a day of worship. The seventh day was the day that they took the sacrifices to the temples of these gods. Moses uses the word seventh day in Genesis by saying, just like you were taking these into the temples, just like this was your day of sacrifice, I want to tell you what the Father's intention idea is. He wants to come and dine with you. He wants his spirit to be on the inside of you. How do I know that? Go to Psalm 132 and 13 and 14. For the Lord has chosen, has chosen Zion. He has desired for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Put the hands on yourself and say, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's how Paul put it. Christ dwells in me, both to will and to do, according to his nature. Let's go to Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus wraps up the entire Genesis. He says, in the beginning, all of the rest has been given to me <laughs> in heaven and on earth. I said that last week, Moses said, and the seed of the woman shall trample the head of the serpent. Jesus is saying, all authority has been given unto me. And what does he do? Can you imagine if, if, if Pastor Duane told you to go speak at another church, would you be, 
when you got there and you said, Pastor Dwayne sent me, they would treat you like they would treat Pastor Dwayne. If Pastor Bernie sent me to go run some errand at a bank in his name, if I got there, they would treat me or they're supposed to treat me like they would treat Pastor Bernie. In other words, my word is Pastor Bernie's word. In other words, it has found a place to excel in what he's doing. And this is what God is saying. Here's his assignment in the resting place. He said, go make disciples. The word make is the same make word he uses in Genesis. We're going to make. What does he tell man? Be fruitful, replenish, and subdue. In other words, God is saying the word subdue has to have and meaning that there was something that was going to put this man that God had created to the test. There was something in within what this man was supposed to know and operate in, which is the blessing that God has spoken, that something was going to come in his life, and he was going to have to subdue that feeling, subdue that emotion, subdue that pain, and say, God said, and therefore I agree, and that settles it. Is someone going through a moment like that right now? You're wondering, God, where are you in this situation? And God is probably saying, subdue. Because his resting place is, is his place of, 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 of replenish. And then the very next line that is, is really interesting, it says, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. What are these things that he has commanded us? Go to Luke 24, verses 25. Then he said unto them, all foolish ones and slow of heart to to believe in that that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So in all the three years of ministry of, of Jesus, they didn't understand anything. They heard the blessing, walked by the blessing, saw the fruit of the blessing, but hadn't understood anything their whole life. Maybe they even believed. And he just said, I'm going to go back all the way beginning with Moses. And then tell you, in verse 44 of the same chapter, it says, he said unto them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you. All that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the scriptures. That's my prayer this morning. God, open the eyes of my understanding that I may comprehend the scriptures. Because after that, what happened in the disciples' lives who did not believe or walked in unbelief, or there was something missing that they hadn't caught on with God, all of the sudden there was a light that shone about the blessing of God. And I'll show you an example here. Now, Peter is at the beautiful gate, and they see this lame man at the entrance of the door, and then he's like, silver and gold we don't have. But what I have, I give unto. In other words, something had taken root in Peter's life, in John's life, that now they were able to rest. And because they were resting in it, it desired of them to operate at a place that they didn't even know before. 
I'll use another example. Paul and Cyrus are in chains, in jail. Uh, I mean, they've been beaten up, spot on. They're in this place where they could be saying, God, this is not where your children belong. God, this is not where my future should be. God, this is not the place where your children belong. But look what happens. I love physics for this reason, because what is about to happen in this room, science can't explain. Because it says they started to praise God, and the chains fell off first. And then the place started to shake. So the the power that I'm talking about is coming from inside the room, inside somebody's body that is praising God in the midst of the worst of situations. Because the chains, can you imagine if the power came from outside? The rooms would have shaken first. And then after the room's shaking, the chains would have fallen off later. But how much shaking has to happen on the outside to shake a person to breaking chains level? That's what I'm saying. Science would never explain this. I truly believe it came from the inside. They feasted on the scriptures. They feasted on the word of God that no situation could happen around them that could change what they had gotten in their spirit, deep within themselves, that whenever the enemy would send the arrows, their faith would respond. Even in those situations where it was dark, their faith is, let's praise God in this place. Guess what? The blessing has been spoken. The blessing is alive in me. No sickness, no attack of the enemy, no financial lack. There's no grid of attack the enemy can put on your life except the one you allow. If, if our language changes to maybe when God hears my prayer, he'll come through for me. I want to challenge you by saying, maybe you don't understand what God has already spoken over you. I'm not saying you should be okay with sickness. It was taken care of in the blessing. It says on all sickness or whatever is not mentioned that's under that is a curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 says, you have been redeemed from that. So whenever something is coming in my body, I know what to declare. Is it a curse of the law? The Bible says, yes, it is. Therefore, it doesn't belong. What do I mean here? I'm, I'm trying to differentiate between two things. There is a way we can learn to operate and get good results, but we're really operating the natural law. And by this, what I mean is, even unbelievers get fruit. And for a lot of us believers, it becomes a mind of a faith matter because we begin to envy that a person who doesn't know God seems to have the blessing, and the person who knows God seems to operate like they don't have the blessing at all. So the confusion sinks in and sips into our hearts that we begin to pursue what the unbeliever pursues. Why? Because the fruit is not showing. Why? Because my account is too low. Why? Because things are not showing up like the way they should. I remember my dad in that moment, or in those moments I may recount, walking like as though nothing ever happened. He would get back up, 
the next Sunday morning and stand up and preach the word of God and miracles still happened. People still got saved. Yet in the back of my mind, I knew what we're going to find at home again. There was this one Christmas. The service was over. It was Christmas Day there. Everybody comes to church. The numbers are amazing. I mean, it's just through the roof. And after that, we got home, we discovered our Christmas was going to be with the Lord. And, and, and by that, what I mean is there was no, no gifts, no food, and we're just going to worship. And so he, my dad, is, he was trying to hold that in from us understanding what was going on, but he didn't realize we already knew because usually there was something cooking in the back. There was like four ladies from the church coming to help get the food ready. We would invite all the pastors in the church to come to the pastor's house. Everybody was going to be there. It was going to be a big party. But this was one of those years where the fruit was showing that where is the blessing? And we're sitting in the living room, and he's doing his best to occupy us and tell us stories of how we grew up, where he came from, what God has done in his life. And all of a sudden, we hear a knock at the door. He goes to the door. There's a lady with a basket full of food, all kind of stuff. We as kids were so excited something has happened. Maybe daddy planned something. And I turn around, and he leaves the living room, goes in the sanctuary, and he's rolling on the floor. You know what words were coming out of, of his mouth? Thank you, Jesus. I'm blessed. I don't remember him eating that night. But we were having plenty. We thought he planned the whole thing. And in that moment now, when I reflect on those moments, I'm like, God, I didn't even know what the blessing was. And let alone, I come to America, and I'm like, so is this the blessing? But I'm glad those humble beginnings showed me what God can do in a man's heart, that salvation was the work of God in us, and the rest of God in us is the work of, of salvation through us. In other words, when God is saying, go make disciples, it's He's saying, I want to fill the earth. Remember in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and there was darkness in the earth, and the spirit was hovering over it, and God started to fill the earth with beautiful things, started to fill the earth with awesome things, tried to fill the earth with seed, tried to, I mean, he did all of this because he's, he's defeating the darkness, the emptiness that's in there. And guess what Adam did? Adam recreated this emptiness which is what we call religion now, that all through the Old Testament, man is trying to find God. And yet from the beginning, man, God, was finding man. And that's why when you read the book of Genesis, you may get the language mixed up that to me, that's the first book of redemption. God's plan for redemption is beginning in Genesis 1, and that's why I said last time that the gospel is not the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel is Genesis to Revelation. And that's why Pastor said it this morning, when John is at the end of Pasmoth, and the, he's talking about the book of Revelation, and he sees a new, a new kingdom, a new earth. He's seeing 
pretty much the beginning of Genesis all over again. He's saying, but this time there is no darkness in it. This time there is no emptiness in it. This time it's full of God's people, God's church, every nation, every. In other words, the seed of God is working in the hearts of men, replenishing, multiplying, being fruitful, that at the end picture, we know how it's going to end. That the earth is not going to be void. The new earth is not going to be void. The new earth is not going to be empty. The new earth is not going to be dark. And that means me and you, our resting place, is in this power of the salvation walk of Christ in us. My dad used to put it this way. He said, you know what? Broken vessels leak the most. And that's why God likes them. In other words, everything God has put in you, even when, when you're broken, it comes out the most. It leaks to the person next to you if what comes out of you is the love of Christ. It leaks out to the person next to you if what comes out of you is the love of Jesus. It leaks out to the person next to you if what comes out of you is the passion like Christ has. And that's what defeats sickness. That's what defeats lack. That's what defeats all of these things that the enemy tries to do to us. In other words, the word, the Bible, is the Father partnering with man to accomplish his mission in the earth. What was God's mission in, in the beginning? Create heaven and earth. What does the revelation say? Feel it with light. Feel it with my children. Feel it with my blessed ones. The in-between is man learning how to operate in the already spoken word of God, which is what I'm going to call the blessing. God is finished. And now it's God walking on the inside of us. E.W. Kenyon put it that way. He said there's the vital, there's the legal work of salvation. Legal work of redemption is God given us. The salvation, you got saved, you got delivered. But the vital work is you and I leaking this gift that God has given us into the people around us. In other words, when people see me, it says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you today, this minute. When temptations and trials come, what is supposed to come out of us? Look how blessed I am. Thank you, Jesus, because the enemy is confused by that. The enemy doesn't know what to do with when you can't see things in the natural the way you should see them. The enemy is confused because he can't see what you see in the spirit. In other words, scripture validated the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus validated the scriptures by teaching and revealing his purpose through them. Scripture revealed that Jesus has the authority and Jesus willed his authority through Scripture. Jesus was faithful to Scripture, articulated through the prophets by the Father. Jesus is teaching faith in the message of the Scriptures. How to see and communicate spiritual realities by spiritual means. Turn to Acts 20.32. Paul is about to go to Macedonia and he's, he's He's talking to these guys here in chapter 20. This is what he says, verses 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
What is the word of God going to do for us? Build this up, precept upon precept. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 20, Paul is in prison, but this is what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. What's the family on earth? You and I. And then it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So where is God dwelling? Seems that God has found his resting place inside my heart. How? By faith that you being rooted. And this is where the deep, the depth, the strength, comes from. There wouldn't be a need to be rooted if there wasn't a need to subdue. In other words, there's going to be things that want to move you, but you can't be moved. There's going to be things that want to unground you, but you can't be ungrounded. Why? Because you're grounded in the love of God. So that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which passes all understanding, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What's your inheritance? All the fullness of God. And then he says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works where? So this whole time in Genesis, God is looking for a place to rest. And he takes out all the darkness. He takes out all the emptiness. You who were dead and seen now have been quickened by the Spirit of God. He's clearing all the mess. He gives you salvation for free. It's a gift. He's cleaned his house now. He's cleaned his wife. Now he's coming to dwell on the inside of you. When you received Christ, he said you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Christ comes on the inside of you. He lives with you. He takes a boat with you. And the next step becomes Christ seeping out of you. The same word he told Adam and Eve in the beginning, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, and subdue, is the same gospel that has you where you are now, that there's going to be some moments you have to subdue, but most importantly, God's vision is a new earth filled with God people, filled with saints of God, filled with believers of God, you and I, our resting place is actually God's operating place where I'm sensitive to God's voice. I'm sensitive to what God is talking to me about. In other words, true rest is living by the word of God and the word actively working through us. Christianity is Jesus working and demonstrated through us. And that's why Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 29 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. How many of us would consider Jesus as the most blessed? I think in this room we would all say Jesus was the blessed of God. Don't forget you said that because now look at his life. That even when he was on the cross, 
with all that was going on, even when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was not a moment where he doubted that what the Father said he was going to do, he would do. There was not a moment that he did not get tested. He said in the wilderness, he was tested in every single way that you and I can get tested, and he was proven faithful. And there was a man with flesh and blood like you and I that found, that God found rest in him. And he was so broken and so torn apart that he leaked out to the first 12 guys. And the first 12 guys got the gospel with them and they leaked out. And now here in America, we're hearing of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We're seeing people healed, delivered. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine in Uganda, and then he says, they're seeing COVID miracles in the hundreds. People come into church because they can't afford masks. You know, there's, it is the reverse of here. There, because masks are too expensive, God better heal. And do you realize in Uganda... I know they don't test as much as they do here, but been, there's been only less than 100 deaths out of 49 million people with the lowest level medical care. I'm sharing this with you is the blessing of God is at work in people because no matter the compromise of the world, no matter the view of of the understanding, is it okay for 100 people to die or not die? The saved people, the revivals that have broken out in this time in Uganda, house churches, home cell groups, churches have actually grown and they're keeping people away. Why? Because they're, they're seeing people coming to church and getting healed. I'll finish with a story. My own mom, earlier last year, they thought she had COVID, and then they started treating her with COVID medicine over there. And she kept getting worse. She got to the point where they couldn't find the pulse. Now remember, the doctors are afraid of her. The nurses are afraid of her. They're keeping her at a distance. I wish I could show you some of these pictures. And so all of this is going on. Tension in me is rising up. My mom calls us and then she says, if you can't come, this may be the last time we speak. That was like the kind of conversation. And I'm standing, I'm amazed. I told some people here, people started praying, but I remember getting home and being overshadowed by this peace and I started to thank God. God, I thank you for my mom. God, I thank you for the work you've used her to do in my own life. If I'm the only person who benefited from it, that would be okay. But I know thousands have benefited from her sacrifice, from everything that she did. And so they moved her to a different hospital. They check, they find out. They don't know if these two are related, but she had pneumonia. And her lungs were like 80% full of fluid. 
and now the story changes. Well, how do we deal with this? I'm like, God, I started thanking you when they said it was COVID. I'm gonna continue thanking you now that they're saying it is pneumonia. And I can tell you today, she's at home. She was at church this morning. She was praising the Lord. She's driving. She's back to her normal way of life. What happens is the, the grief that I was beginning to feel like she was already gone to heaven was beginning to overpower what I knew about what God promises in his word. And I began to subdue the energy that was coming out of me of mom being gone. And the moment I thank God, I begin to realize the peace come upon me. The more I thank God, the peace came. I'm like, I'm gonna keep doing this, it's working. And then to hear that great testimony, and I was talking to my mom telling me the details. You know, after you go through something, I was hearing the people who would tell me and say this and the other. To hear her say that she was ready to go home, she thought her mission here was over. That she was at peace and ready to go meet Jesus. If you knew my mom, those are not the kind of words she would say about any situation. She had been through so much already, and it was always like, next God, next God, next God. And this one had got her to a place where she herself needed somebody in the gap, needed a group of people. And though, even though that group of people was here in the church, wherever they were, people were praying, agreeing with heaven through the word of God that she would be healed, and that happened instantly. Even the doctors would say, they did not put a tube to drain her fluid, by the way the fluid went away. They did not do so many normal things they would do to a person who has pneumonia with fluid in their lungs. They gave her some antibiotics, but they checked the next day and the lungs were clear. I'm saying all of this to say, God has something for you in the very same scriptures that Jesus stood on. And if Jesus could stand on this word and live through temptations, live through sickness, live through droughts, live through all kinds of things, how about you and I? I was at a conference at Lincoln, one of Pastor Boyd said, you know, that for most people, ink has become the embalming fluid of scripture. We have taken the activeness out of the word, and now it's like I'm reading awesome history. David worked in, David was a shepherd. Wow, isn't that an amazing story? But if we read the whole Bible as this is the gospel, this is the redemptive power of Christ, this is the power of God for me, this is what is forming me, this is what is making me into this Christ that I believe in, I can see lives being changed by each one of us in our circles. Maybe you have, Maybe you're concerned about someone in your family. Maybe you're concerned about some lost people in your house, at your job, and you're wondering, God, how can I reach these people? Just remember, you're broken, so lick. I don't know if I'm saying that word in English the correct way, but I mean leak. I mean begin to share some Christ on the inside of you. That's why God chose you and I from the very beginning. Can you imagine a man who says his word, a person who says his word 4,000 years ago? He's still standing on his word today. 
that I want to create a heaven and earth united with people who are my people, who are called by my name. And then John, thousands of years later, sees a vision and sees that earth formed and he sees a people of all tongues and tribe formed and he's seeing the end. And God saw that before even John saw it. So the in-between is God saying, learn of me. Take my yoke. It's easy. Don't get caught up in the lusts of the world. If you don't mind, get up on your feet. Let's pray together. If this means something to you, get a hold of it. Get a hold of the word of God. Read the Bible like it's God's word talking to you. Read the Bible like it's God speaking with you. And don't read it too quickly to get through. I know we have plenty of planners. version has interesting Bible tools. And you can think about getting up in the morning and doing your one chapter a day. Awesome. And then the day begins. Great job. That's a great beginning. Desire that that word takes over the rest of your day for you. Meditate on it. See what is God teaching. What is God telling Moses Why is he telling it to Moses? What is God telling David? Why is he telling this to David? Because the moment that takes root in your your system, it bears fruit in your mouth. 